Hey guys, it's good to see you all here. Many of you guys know I'm not a pastor. <laughs> We're not supposed to cheer for that. That's okay. Uh, I actually am a co-founder in a small software uh, company here in town. We started in 2007. We grew, we had, you know, six, seven people, which is like, yeah, we're doing amazing things. And, and so four years ago, we started this new version of our software. And we really wanted to go like where the market was going. or like, we're going to do the greatest thing ever. We thought this was going to take six months. Four years ago, we thought it was going to take us six months. It took us four years to build this stinking piece of software. I have probably, our company probably has $2 million in this thing. Four years of my life have been aiming for this. One day we're going to build this great thing. And so as we're going, this is great. But our old version starts to like do this. Our old version, which is like the new kid on the block, was great at the time, is now stale and boring. And month by month we started seeing our trajectory. We were, we were doubling every eight months, which was awesome. But then a few years ago, it's like, well, what else is coming out? And so we're like panicking. We're like hiring more people. We're doing new things. We scrapped the entire software start over again two years into it. I'm just ravaged by like this up and down fear. What's going on? And so we continue to go. And so the, the time when this software comes to fruition is about three or four weeks ago. Four years of my life working up until about three or four weeks ago. Now, I've been in the most insane time of my life in these past two months. Not only is this new version coming out, we had a thousand tasks, a thousand tasks, items of things that need to be fixed in the software. I had staff flying in, because we have staff that's not in Sacramento, whether Portland, Seattle, Orange County, Minnesota, Santa Barbara, flying in. We have consultants coming in for 12 hours a day doing work with us, helping us out. I'm flying down to Southern California for meetings in addition to, I'm married and I have two kids who in the past couple weeks decided they want to barf for like two weeks. <laughs> My kids also declared that October was no sleep month for mom and dad. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have our largest client that probably took about 25% of all of our revenue call and a competitor poached them. Boom, vanished. Tens of thousands of dollars in one phone call. The new version still isn't out yet. I'm like, whew, deep breaths, deep breaths. I have a dentist appointment in the middle of this. <laughs> and I've been like delaying this dentist appointment forever. Like I literally thought it was like seven months and they're like, are you really for real? And I think I delayed, it was like probably over a year that I've been like escaping this dentist appointment. And there's no escape and they're like, you're doing it. You know, this is way overdue. You got to get in here. And so I sit down in the chair, and you know what they do usually is they, they put a wristband around you. And I'm coming in, and I have, like, you know, everything's on my phone. Every single line of code that gets committed, my phone buzzes. I've got eight developers who have to test all their software. I'm, like, specking every new feature. I'm designing how every single thing works. And I'm sitting in a dentist chair. My phone's like, zzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
Life was crazy. Life has never been more crazy. But you know what? I had built a muscle in the off-season to prepare for these times. Four years of my life and all the craziness that now is here, I actually realized the Lord said, it is the peace that surpasses all understanding. the exact phrase that came into my heart at that moment. It's like, what does that mean? It's like you've been preparing in the off-season for now. And yes, life is crazy. It's I'm getting hardly any sleep. My kids are barfing. I got all sorts of things. But, you know, my soul is at rest because I prepared for years to be the person who I am now. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you how you also can prepare in the off-season for life. How you can find the times that are not crazy. You can say, I'm going to do the hard work now when everything's okay so that when everything is not okay, I'm ready. And you too can say, I'm born for this. I'm ready for this. Bring it on. Because that's how I feel like right now. It's like, I thought I had five gears. I've discovered I have seven now. I'm like, I got one more to go. And so it's crazy, but this is what I want to share for you tonight is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now I want to walk you through each word in here because this is what it takes to develop in the off-season. The first is this. Don't be anxious about anything. You only can do what you can do. Do what you can do knowing that you've been faithful. You can't control everyone. You only can control yourself. But practice not being anxious about things that don't matter. I can understand if you're being dropped into ISIS territory from a helicopter with a machine gun that you're probably going to be like a little stressed out. I get that. You're probably going to be nervous there. Or you might be nervous as Dante's. You're going to help bring justice to the streets. You don't know who's on the other side of that door. You don't know who's in that car. I get that. But here's what I don't get. People who insist on always having a crisis in their life. People who make mountains out of molehills. How's your day? Oh my gosh, I had a tough day at work and then I went home and the dishwasher broke and I had been washing dishes by hand all day long. I got uh, pruned fingers and then my check engine light happens on my truck and I don't know what I'm going to do and my dog has worms. So actually, that's my entire like two weeks too. <laughs> all those things happening simultaneously. Angela, remember how you watched Coco? That's what was wrong. We just found out just now. <laughs> yeah, she's fine. My wife's a vet. We're going to be okay. <laughs> but yes, my dog has worms. It's really awkward, right? But there are people who insist on like, oh, my life is terrible. It's a crisis. And they, they find things to stress out about. That their life actually demands that they live in crisis. When they could be living out of normal day occurrences. So what I say to you in living in the off-season, preparing for the game time, is to find a way to not stress out about things that don't matter. Your life is too important for you to be able to perform at game time to say like, you know what, I'm just going to turn that off. I don't need to watch it. I don't need to be bothered by this. That Facebook debate, I'm not going to pay attention to you. My personal advice. Many times, people don't survive a real crisis because they insist on making a crisis in their everyday life. Many times, people don't survive a real crisis because they've spent every single day of their life making many crises 
of their situation in their life. And the best way to have peace during the storm is actually to practice peace in the calm. You are designed for peace. You are designed to thrive. As a believer, it's actually your right to have peace in your life. So practice it when there's peace. Don't say, oh, when there's a difficult situation, then I'll have peace. That's not actually how it's supposed to go. Do not be anxious about anything, but, the second part, in everything. What are the boundaries of your spirituality? In everything. What are the boundaries of your spirituality? Is your spirituality a Sunday occurrence, or does it flow into everything and everywhere of your life? People usually like to kick God out of areas of their life that they don't want God to give his opinion on. People usually like to kick God out of the areas of their life that they don't want God's opinion on. God, I give you my Sundays, it's great, but don't you dare touch that dating relationship. Mm-mm. I mean, I'm, I'm an expert on that one, really. Jesus, hello you. <laughs> All about that growing up. And so people kick God out of all the other ancillary areas and say, God, you can have my Sunday, you can have my Thursday night, you can have this, you can have my Bible studying up, you can't have these areas of my life. Until that area of your life gets sideways and you have a crisis in that area of your life. And then what do you do? He's like, God, where are you in my life in this place? Where, why have you forsaken me? When your relationship goes sideways, the first thing is like, God, where are you in my relationship? He's like, actually, you kicked me out about six weeks ago. I see it here in the, like a note that says, butt out that you sent me. You insisting that you're going to do it your way, didn't care what I said. That's where I went. I can come back. And so we have this, this tendency in our Christian faith to, to draw lines of where God is and where God isn't. So when the scriptures say in everything, God really means everything. There's no other Greek translation for everything. It actually means everything. <laughs> do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. And so people want to compartmentalize their life so that God doesn't interfere with the areas of their life that they don't want God's involvement in. So make sure that every area of your life is actually available to God when everything is good. <clears throat> if everything is good right now, just say, God, I welcome you in every area of my life. Why? It's because when I'm in a bad mood, I don't want you in that place. Invite God into the season and areas of your life when everything is going great. Welcome him in. Say, God, do you have an opinion on this? This is going well, but like, man, what else do you think? Bring him into every area of your life, not just when you need a breakthrough. Also, the way that we try and get close to God is actually backwards. The way we get close to God is actually backwards. We usually think that in order to become close to God, we need to get rid of the world. And break out and be by myself and be peace, right? Do you not love the world when we like isolate ourselves? We go on like these mountain high, like by myself, in the closet. We, you know, we do those things, right? Now, now, I love my morning time by myself. Disclaimer. <clears throat> but there's this tendency that says, and it goes along with having God, is God every part of your life or is he a part of your life? And so we have these tendencies to say, I'm going to go see God in this like one isolated place. And that's fine because we have a scripture that kind of seems to support that God is holy, that we are holy, and holiness means to be set apart, right? We have this notion that to become close to God, we need to reject the world and go be with him. That's all great until we realize that we are actually united with God's spirit and you actually can't get away from him. 
And he's like, you can take a drive, I guess, but like, we can just chill here. I'm just here as often as you are. And so we have this like, I'm set apart, I'm going to be um, uh, isolated, I'm going to like reject everything in the world. Now, mind you, again, I love my personal private time by myself, but I also have had deep spiritual encounters while surfing. I have wild spiritual encounters showing off our new software. I'll come out, I do like these Chuck Norris kicks, I'm like, yeah, I'm like all about it. I'll have these amazing like spiritual encounters, even when I was at Blue Lamp, which is one of the ghettoest clubs watching Kennedy Rose. I'm there from like, yeah, like just like heaven invading this nasty club. (laughs) Spiritual experience. Spiritual experience. And so I would suggest that real holiness is not actually being set apart. It actually seeing experiences and living it with God in everything. If you want real holiness, it doesn't mean to be set apart and isolated. It means that I'm going to find God in every little detail. This microphone stand, this desk, this water. You find Jesus everywhere. That's true holiness. That beat, that sound, that burrito, come on. You find God in everything. And you find God in everything when everything is great celebrate the good things in life. Because what happens is when everything goes wrong, you're like, God, where are you? And you've built this practice of never seeing God when everything is good, and you're like, when everything's bad, I can't find you. Because I've trained myself to be completely isolated and reject you from the areas of my life and not see you in the details that God says, I'm in everything, I'm in you. Celebrate and experience these things. And so the charge in the relationship that you have with God is not to strip away everything in order to find him. It actually is to discover him in everything and live in him in the context of everything. The charge for you is actually to find God in everything. I don't mean to be over-spiritual like, I'm not going to say that God gave me that parking space. You know, I'm not going to give like 405 theology. I hate the 405 freeway in L.A., I think Satan rules that freeway. But I'm not, I'm not going to over-spiritualize different things. I'm just like, God, I, like, I just, I'm, the experiences I have, I'm going to find you in them because I'm continually reminded I need to erase the boundaries that I've set up for God. If there's one thing you take from tonight is to be mindful of erasing the boundaries that you've, you've drawn out for God to be in and out of. And you do it in the times when it's just mundane, when it's average. Because when you do this in the off-season, you won't be asking yourself, God, where are you during the chaos? Someone who asks, where is God, is the one who only looks for God when life is in trouble. Let me say that again. Someone who says, where is God, is the one who only looks for God when life is in trouble. If you practice a life saying, I see God here, I see God in everything, when times of trouble, you're like, God, I've already seen you everywhere. I know you're here. I don't care what I feel. I know it. And so my personal inability, my personal inability to see God in difficult situations is directly related to the anxiety I'm about to face. Now, life is stressful, but I'm not anxious. Life is intense. I'm like, I wish there was like 14 more hours in the day because I'm running out. 
It's very different. I'm not like anxious and worried. I'm just like, man, it's a lot of stuff. But my anxiety is tempered by the degree in which I see God in everything. I believe that my life and my work and my time is meaningful, and so therefore I'm seeing God's hand in it, even though it doesn't seem like it's anything special, it's mundane, but God, you're in it. And so as I determine to see God's presence in everything, you know what happens? My anxiety evaporates. When I have anxiety, it shows me that I have lost the ability to see God in the details. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by, what is it? Prayer. Prayer. Newsflash, they're supposed to talk to God. Newsflash, right? Didn't read the fine print in the contract of your salvation, I get it. Prayer. If you want to have a thriving game time life, you need to have prayer in the off season. Why? It's because we're totally trained to only pray when stuff hits the fan. So it's like, God, I haven't talked to you since the last crisis I had. Yeah, thanks for solving that, by the way. That was eight months ago. I haven't talked to you since, but I'm going to start again. And I promise after this one, I'll stay in touch. Eight months later, I know last time I said I wasn't going to do this. I did that for like 18 years of my life. The response to anxiety is not stress and figured out. It actually is to open your mouth. The response to stress and anxiety is not to freak out and control. It's actually to open your mouth. Don't let the troubling times be the only time you talk to God. Learn to talk to God. If if you only learn to talk to God in the troubling times, your relationship with God will be dependent on a crisis. Let me say that again. If you only talk to God during the troubling times, your relationship with God is completely dependent upon you having a crisis. So establish communication with God in the good times, in the off-season, so that in the tough times, you are familiar with God's voice. That's the thing that drives me nuts. Besides, God, where are you? It's like, God, where's your voice? I don't hear you. Here's the thing about crisis. Is that when you're in, when things go out of control, they're sideways, that relationship ends, that job freaks out, whatever, fill in the blank. What happens in those moments is everything's like, blah, 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 I should do this, blah, 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 blah. You know, you are just, holy cow, your flesh is freaking out, your mind is freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to go hurt someone. Like, you know, you have all these like crazy things going at once, right? Come on, right? You have friends like, oh, I wouldn't do that. You should go tell him something. You have like, mom and dad like, no, you shouldn't. You know, you have all this battle, battle for what are you ought to do. And somewhere in there is God's voice. Somewhere there is God's voice. Here's the problem. If you're in a crowded room like this and all of us are talking and I ask, um, what's the sound of a complete stranger sound like to you? His name's Jim. You've never met him. And he's talking. Can you hear him? You're like, nope. It is completely impossible to hear the, to recognize the voice of a stranger in a crowded room while there's other voices. So no wonder when your life goes in crisis and you're like, I don't hear God. Like he's there, you're just not familiar with his voice. Now let me change it the other way. If we were all here, there's a rock concert and there was feedback coming out of the speakers and an elephant with a tambourine and my daughter who's four says, Daddy, I would like, I could hear it. I had a laser pinpoint focus for my daughter's voice because I'm familiar with it. I had a relationship with it. And so in the off season, 
When things are fine, cultivate that voice of God so that you can actually understand it and hear it when the chaos comes. Because when the chaos comes, if you're not familiar with God's voice, you're not going to hear it. It's not because God is silent. It's because you've actually trained yourself not to hear God's voice. The other benefit of prayer is that it is good practice to see things clearly. The response to anxiety and stress is to open your mouth to pray. That God would hear like, oh, cool, awesome, let's talk. Let's dialogue about this. The other best thing about that, when you open your mouth, is you actually begin to hear how stupid your fears are. See, when your thought is trapped in your mind, it makes perfect sense. You're like, of course. And then you like start verbalizing. It's like, this sounds less and less sane. I might need medication, actually. <laughs> so many times when I have to come up with an idea, I get Ashley. Like, I just need to have like, a diary of the mouth to like, solve this like, flow of a problem. It's like, blah, 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 blah. Ding, there it is. Sweet. We have to talk things out. Prayer is 50% talking to God, having him reconcile hearts with you, having him partner with you, having you labor to see something through. And the other half of it is just like, you're really confused and sounding dumb. Like, I'm actually being serious. And actually half of it, I believe, maybe I have really dumb fears and anxieties. But when I verbalize things, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing even I've ever heard. When I express my fears and verbalize them, a couple of things happen. I put them into existence to be examined. When they're trapped in my mind and my heart, I'm like, oh, I don't have real words for them. When I put language behind my fears, they are now available to be examined by truth. A thought, a feeling, emotion that is unverbalized and unmanifest into words can torment you forever. But when you verbalize it, you put it out in the light and you allow God's truth to come and examine and say, actually, that makes no sense. And half the time I'm like, yeah, that does make no sense. Thanks. He's like, just pray. Just open your mouth. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Oops, I'm jumping ahead. Prayer and, what was the next one? Petition. Prayer and petition. What's petition? The Greek word there is deesis, deesis, if you will. And it means to entreat. I entreat thee, right? Sounds like New King James. It actually doesn't mean that. It's the opposite of retreat, right? Let's go to battle. Retreat, <laughs> right? Run away, run away. That, retreat, right? Entreat, the exact opposite. What's the exact opposite of retreat? Charge! Braveheart, right? You guys have seen the movie. Opposite of retreat is entreat, which means charge. By prayer and petition. By prayer and by charging the hill. By prayer and going after it. By prayer and taking off the sweater and getting ready. You actually have to seek for what you're praying for. 
You actually have to pursue what you are praying for. We are designed to pray, but we are also designed to pursue. Don't pray for something that you have zero intention on pursuing. One time I was like, talking to a buddy, what are you praying for? Oh, I'm really praying that I get into this college. Awesome. Uh, how are the applications going? <laughs> I haven't submitted applications. It's like, um, see the problem here, right? <laughs> I actually, it was so bad with him, I actually like brought his applications, I took his hand and like I signed his hand on his own application. He was so convinced that he was not going to get in. He's like, I'm not going to get in, but I'm praying I do. It's like, this makes no sense. You don't pray for something you're not willing to pursue. About to make people feel uncomfortable. Warning. Man, I'm praying about the purity of our relationship. Awesome, man. So then stop driving around to the countryside at 11 p.m. Don't tell me like Usher for the beats. Come on. 11 p.m. Usher, Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, I didn't have this kind of temptation. Don't pray for purity if you have no discipline to pursue your prayers. Am I right? Am I right? Jesus is not an answering service. He's like, oh, good, I got your request. Please wait six to eight weeks for processing. No. We pray because we partner with truth. When we partner with truth, we actually have a mandate that we actually pursue what we pray for. I'm tired of Christians who are like, oh, I'm just going to sit back and pray that I get a job. That someone's going to come hit me over the head with one. It's like, how about you get in the game? How about you go after it? How about you sharpen that resume? I, I, a one hidden skill for me is at writing people's resumes. There are te- people write terrible resumes. Terrible resumes. Did interesting things, period. It's like, like, world-class leader in excellence in everything I do. I captivate the opportunity. You know, I'm great at that wordsmithing. It's not lying. It's prophesying. <laughs> Matthew 7, 7. Is <laughs> Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Does anybody know what the next word is? Seek. Get your butt off the couch. Pray and then seek and go after it. Knock and it'll be open for you. Prayer and petition, prayer and charge and going after it. By prayer and petition, what's the next one? With thanksgiving. If you want to be fully in the will of God, I, this is the other thing that drives me nuts. I just want to be in the will of God. Really? If you want to be in the will of God, it's really simple. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will. It's pretty clear. The simplest and most straightforward way that you can participate in God's will is to be thankful. The simplest way that you can participate in God's will is to be thankful. Don't like, oh, what's God's will for this relationship? Stop driving in the fields. What is God's will for my job? Write a resume. You know, like all these things. If you want to be in God's will, the simplest thing you can do is just like, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, God. You're in God's will. Instantly. 
every morning, my three words, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. The three words, because like, we sit down in prayer like, what am I going to pray for? Uh, pray for um, sleep and health and work. And it's like, sometimes I don't know what to pray. But I need to pray. I got to pray. So if I don't have a dumb thing to like reveal in the light, I just say, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't, it doesn't get old. It's one of those things like I can keep saying thank you to God over and over and over again. And so we have a habit, though, of only being thankful when it's in response to something terrible. You're not really thankful for your car until your friend's car lights on fire. I'm like, ah, I'm glad I have a car. You're not really thankful for the job you have until someone loses theirs. We need to practice being thankful when things are awesome and amazing. Don't let a crisis determine when you're thankful and when you're not. We need to develop thankfulness in all times, especially good times. And it actually is very, very difficult to practice thankfulness in bad times if you've never practiced it in good times. Because in bad times, you're like, I don't feel like being thankful for squat. I don't, you're not feeling thankful in those times. So if you've never built muscles, if you've never built practice, if you don't even have a, like, I remember sometimes, like, talking to people, like, you know, they're having a really hard time. I'm like, why don't we, like, let's, let's just, like, what is, what's something you're thankful of? Nothing. It's like, <laughs> nothing? Nothing. Come on. But when you practice thankfulness, when everything is great, and you're in the middle of your circumstance, and it's terrible, and you're like, what are you thankful for? You should actually have a great list. She's like, well, funny you should ask. Because before things got totally out of control, these are the 46 things I was thankful for. So I'm in this, like, October is the you shall not get any sleep month right now. My son, who's 20 months old, he has a screech that makes my eyeballs bleed at 2 in the morning. I'm just like, oh, what was I just hit by a hammer? What was that? It's like every night, I'm like, getting the covers off, going over there. I'm in a terrible, awful, horrible, need-to-be-saved mood at that time in the night. I'm like repenting before I even get to his door. Get in there. Come here. Pick him up. I'm like, thank you, Daddy, for my son. Thank you. He was in the ICU for 10 days when he was born. I'm like in an air-conditioned house with a roof, and my son is crying. That's the worst of my problems. What's the matter with me? Pick him up. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you that I have a son that can cry. Thank you that he's healthy and that he's awake and that he is living. My pastor lost his daughter, my college pastor lost his, his five-year-old daughter to cancer. Crazy. Thank you, Daddy, that I have healthy children right now. And you know what? The right response produces the right emotion in that time. When I'm there and it's two in the morning and I'm like tired, I'm like, and here's the thing about me. It's like when I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't fall back asleep usually because life is so crazy. I'm like, I all of a sudden think about work and all the things I got to do and like I can't fall asleep then. So waking up is really like, oh, I'm going to be up for like three hours now. And so when I'm there with my son, I'm like, thank you, God, that he is here, that I love him, that my wife let me name him Maverick. This is awesome, you know. 
When I do those things, the right emotion follows. It's God's will that you rejoice and are thankful in all circumstances. So when I participate in being thankful in the bad circumstance, you know what? My feelings start to get a clue. How are you guys doing? Can I keep going for just a tad? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, what's the next part? Anybody know? Present your request to God. Notice how it didn't say, submit your demands to Jesus. No. Present your requests to God. Many people, and li- many people live and pray in their relationship with God like a hostage situation. God, I did this. You better do your part. My daughter, who's almost four, learned, she's like, if you don't turn on Elsa, I'm not going to love you anymore. It's like, that's fun. (laughs) Intuitively, at four years old, she knew that you can manipulate with love by requests. We had a deep conversation with this later. That's a message for another night. But at four, she figured that out. But we live our Christian lives that way. God, life's not going too well. I think I'm going to punish you by withholding love, actually. Life isn't going amazing, so you know what? Maybe I won't stay plugged in. Maybe I'll just kind of color outside the lines. Maybe I'll just kind of let myself go a little bit. It says, present your request to God. Translation, in the Greek, you don't always get to what you want. In the Greek, it actually says that. No, it doesn't actually. (laughs) Present your request to God. Translation, you're not always going to get what you want. See word before this word. Be thankful always. Christians have a bad habit of developing spiritual entitlement. Like, I deserve it. I'm God's son. I don't have to work for it. I get everything I need and want. Yes, you're God's son, you're chosen, you're beloved, but guess what? Jesus says, take heart, you're going to have trouble. You are going to have hard times. You're not going to get everything you want. And so I've told myself that I don't have permission to have a bad attitude if I don't get what I want. It's not up to me. I'm going to participate in God's own being thankful. And so when you live a life knowing that you can't get what you want, you'll have a lot more peace. It's important that you make requests to God when everything is good, not bad times. That's hard. When everything's great, it's kind of hard to ask God for things. And if you don't have anything to ask God for or talk to him about, just say thank you. But here's the thing is that when we live in a crisis or chaotic time, we come with all these requests, all these like fix-it honey-do lists. That's the only time we're seeking and requesting from God. When you practice not getting what you want in the calm... When you practice not getting what you want in the calm, the storm will have less consequences on your life if you don't get what you want. If you're like me where you're used to getting your own way and you don't get your way, you're like, son of a... I take notice of the things I don't get. and like, I actually need to be told no. So my friends, like I'll tell them, like, I actually need to be told no because I'm kind of spoiled sometimes. I need to practice when everything's not on the line to like, I'm not going to get my way here because there's going to be circumstances that are far more significant and far more severe where I don't get my way and I need to have the right attitude then. Now, all the results of this hard work, everything we've talked about to now, what does it do? The last 
sentence here. And the peace of God that trans all understanding, all the work we just talked about, it produces peace that transcends all understanding. Did you know that it is designed that you have radical, unexplicable peace in your life? That's actually how it's supposed to be. That doesn't mean that you don't feel emotion. That doesn't mean that you don't have pressure. That doesn't mean that there isn't difficult situations. It just means that your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, that they are at rest. What does it mean to be at rest? Not asleep, not, not doing anything. That's not rest. Here's what rest is for me. I'm not jumping out of my skin to control everything. That's rest. We're not freaking out, stressed out about how do I fix this? Then you are at rest. You still have work to do, but the temper of your soul is at rest. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. It says, man, I can do what I can do, but I'm not going to freak out about this. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will do what? Guard your heart and mind. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Outcome number two of preparing in the off season is this, is your mind and heart will be guarded. Why is that important? The result of your life in preparing in the off season is that your life has better choices and decisions. When you prepare in the off season, when you prepare when everything's okay, when everything goes wrong, you will actually have the blueprint to make better decisions. I can tell people who have no peace in their life in a heartbeat. Why? Because they're so stressed and they're making crappy decisions every other second. It's like that person is like, because you know what's happening? Is their mind is being torn this way. Their heart is being torn this way. You show me someone who their mind and their heart is being torn in a million different directions, and I'll show you someone who does not have the peace of God, the trans all understanding that's guarding their heart. It's not there. It's not. And so when you have the peace that surpasses all understanding, the result is that your heart and your mind suddenly become immune to bad decisions that otherwise would trip you up. Because the devil wants to get you caught off. He wants to use opportunities to steal you away and trip you up for many reasons. That's a different message. But we are prepared in the offseason for game time and you're there and I'm in the middle of the circumstance and your heart and your mind are completely guarded. There's like a fence over them. You're like, bring it. I'm ready for you. I see you. Let me end with this. If we have music, welcome the guys to come back up. There is a habit that Christians develop to only prepare when you need to perform. How about you? Like, like I haven't gone to the gym in eight years. Is Nancy single? I need to get in the gym, man. Right? Is Nancy a believer? Oh, I got to sign up for that Bible study, man. I mean, I've been going forever. I just took a little hiatus. <laughs> we perform, or sorry, we prepare when we have to perform. It's human nature. I get it. One of the disciplines that I've developed over this time, because I'm not a pastor, if that's good or bad for you, is that every morning I try and write a bit of a message with no message being prepared for. 
I have about a list of about 100 of them, but one night I'll share all of them with you. Kidding. I make it a habit that I don't prepare in order to perform. And so my messages, they just flow out of like what's happening in life. It's like, all right, this is happening in my life. And if someday this message ever gets preached, then cool. If not, then that's cool too. But your life needs to be a long set of preparations for a test that may not ever actually happen. That's part of me is like a mentor of mine who was so powerful to me. He's like, prepare for the day of your great temptation. Prepare for the day where everything aligns and every single lines, everything lines up and you're in the moment of your greatest temptation in your life. You know, I'm prepared right now for that day. I hope it never comes, but I'm prepared if it does. I'm in no danger of it right now. I can't even smell it. Like, I don't even see when it ever would come, but that doesn't matter. Is I prepare to be who I am. I don't prepare for a performance or a test. I am who I am. And that's what I got for you guys tonight. I love you.